Hallelujah. Who is happy to be here tonight? Say amen if you're happy. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, you're much more beautiful when you smile. <laughs> hey, it's great to be here. It really is. And for a number of reasons. Um, firstly, to be with an old friend like Chad. Um, I was here some years ago, and I came to visit your church, I think, boy, nearly 10 years ago. So, Pastor Boykin, it's great to be back here and, and, and see you guys prospering, doing well, going from glory to glory, strength to strength. Hallelujah. The, the, the road of the righteous is like the shining sun that shines brighter and brighter. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be brighter, your future. Amen. Yes, yes. And Chad said that um, I've, come up, I'm, I'm, I've come from Brazil. Well, I have traveled from Brazil, but you may be able to decipher from my accent. I'm not a Brazilian. Uh, I'm a Britishman. Yes, I drink tea. That's right. And I don't say water. I say water because the queen says water and water it is then. Um, and the third reason, anyhow, that I'm really happy to be here is because I get to speak in English. Because I live now and work in Brazil. And um, I'm an evangelist. I'm an evangelist. And it's just, you know, many, many years ago, I read a quote from a, a, a missionary from the, back in the old days of the Moravian revival. Those of you who have studied church history will know that a guy called Count Zinzendorf who was the son of a nobleman, he um, got gloriously saved. And when he inherited his father's castle and property, he turned it into a mission-sending uh, station and also financed missionaries right around the world. It's fantastic. These guys were absolute radicals. They sold themselves into slavery in order to win other slaves. Yes, yes. And, and, and literally, they, they gave themselves into leper colonies... Um, with the, you know, with, 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 with the, 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 the risk of catching leprosy themselves in order to win the lepers. Glorious. Anyhow, Zinzendorf, he said something that marked my life many years he, ago. He said, my nation and my people are the people and the nation where I can win the most souls for Christ. Hallelujah. And so I, you know, we are kingdom people. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Uh, and a soul is a soul. It doesn't matter what color, what tribe, what language. A soul is a soul and is precious in the eyes of God. So I'm happy to go anywhere where I can win lots of souls. And right now for me, that's Brazil. For me, for me. Okay, could be somewhere else for you. But for me, that's where it is. God's given me a, a, a level of grace. I don't know why my Portuguese is still pretty terrible and I have a strong accent when I preach. But for some reason... Um, God's given me a grace to be able to, to work there and to connect with the people there. And, and we're seeing many, 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 many people saved. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. 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 So I get to preach in English tonight, though, which I'm slightly worried about as well. Because, I, you know, when you, when you feel tongue-tied for so long and you finally have your tongue loosened, it might mean I preach for three hours without breathing between sentences. So watch out if that happens. So rein me in, okay? Rein me in. Um, great, great. Well, thank you again for having me come to speak to you and minister to you. It is a joy. It is a joy. Um, when Chad told me tonight was a baptism service, I love baptism services. I love baptism. And I thought, oh, good. I want to talk about baptism. I want to talk about the life-transforming power of the two baptisms, because we know in Scripture there are two, and both of them have terrific power, profound power, to transform you completely and totally. Amen. And the Scripture that came into my mind when I was thinking about it is actually one that's very well known, but I want to apply it to, to what I'm going to talk about. And this is Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Again, you probably don't need to turn there because you've heard it many, many times. But the Lord said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. 
And I want to just pick up on these words, gate and way, rather than the other part, which we normally focus on. Jesus is effectively saying that as you walk, you will go through gates and ways, either to life or to destruction. Okay. So in other words, there are gateway experiences. There are doors. There are frontier moments when you pass from one realm into another realm. And then there are roadway experiences, okay? And on a roadway, it talks more about step-by-step, okay, through process. So there are two types of change I think he's referring to. There's radical, immediate, instant, transformative change. When I flew in from Brazil yesterday into Miami International, as no doubt many of you have done, you queue up at the frontier, at the border, and you go through the immigration system, and you normally have some rather terrifying-looking immigration guard glaring at you to try and work out if you're a terrorist or not. And there's that moment when you think, Lord, is he going to let me in or not? And, you know, and some people come, you know, I've come up from Brazil, and sometimes it's difficult coming from, you know, a uh, uh, let's say, a less developed nation into a more developed nation. They can be quite high criteria at times to come in. But when you leave one nation and go into another nation, lots of things change. Isn't that right? The laws change. The culture changes. The food changes. The climate can change. Even that sense of being oppressed uh, can change immediately. You go through the door and it's like, whew, I made it, I made it, I made it, okay? And you can relax and you can rest. That's a gateway experience. Say gateway with me. Hmm? And so um, I believe that baptism is a gateway experience. You go from one life or one environment, one type of living into another just by going through the door. Are you hearing what I'm saying here today? Obviously, the road or the way that Jesus talks about, talks about step by step. And both ways of transformation are valid, okay? Step by step really talks as, as um, uh, uh, about precept upon precept. When you're taught the Word of God, when you go to your life groups or your Sunday services or your midweek meeting, then each and every time you gather in the name of the Lord and you hear the preached Word of God and you get revelation and faith builds in your heart and the anointing's there to, to change you, then that's a, a transformative change, but it's step by step, day by day, week by week. Sometimes you don't even notice that you are changing. It's only somebody else who comes across you and says, boy, you've changed. And you think, well, I haven't been doing much. I've just been doing church. But actually, as you've been doing church, you've been taking steps every day. And you're a lot further down the road than you thought you were. Isn't that right? So both types of change are absolutely necessary. Some churches tend to stress radical, immediate change, and that's good. And other churches tend to stress, you know, gentle, progressive change. I believe we need a bit of both. Isn't that right? To have a healthy transformation in our lives. Now, I'm an evangelist, that said. Pastors tend to focus more on step-by-step change, roadway change, okay? They teach you the word day in, day out. Evangelists come, and they want to shake it up immediately. Change here, change now. We want salvation. We want healing. We want baptism in the Holy Ghost. We want, literal, we want people to experience the power of God so that the way they came in ain't the way they're going to leave. Shout amen, somebody. So, but, amen. But I want to talk to you so more about the gateway change. It's not that I don't value the roadway change. I like to teach as well. I'm kind of doing a bit of both tonight because I'm teaching about the gateway rather than the roadway, okay? And baptism, both baptisms, and of course I'm talking about water baptism, and I'm talking about Holy Ghost or spirit baptism. They're both gateway uh, uh, experiences for your life. Amen. So let's quickly look. Oh, could you open up for me, my son? Oh, by the way, this is my 17-year-old son, my eldest boy, who's come traveling with his dad. He's a blessing, I tell you. He's a blessing. Thank you so much. Maybe we can get him to uh, speak a little bit to the youth when we get around them. He's a, he can share a little bit of uh, the fire that he carries. Amen. Um, let's, let's, um, let's just think a little bit together in the time that we have, please. I thought of three symbols um, that kind of reveal 
what water baptism means, and then three symbols that reveal what spirit baptism means. And if we can get our heads around those symbols, you're going to see the deep work that uh, Christ has done in our lives. Amen. So first of all, baptism, if you think about it, we've just seen these guys. I hope they come to, to hear what I'm saying, the guys who were baptized, anyhow. But you see them, it's such a beautiful baptism tank. We don't get to see them going underwater, but you get to see them dry and then wet. You get to see them going down and then coming up. And in some senses, okay, baptism is a symbol of taking a bath. Say, take a bath. Say to your neighbor, take a bath. <laughs> okay. And in Scripture, we know from Revelation 1 and 5, the Scripture says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Amen. Amen. You know, I'm an Englishman, and in England we play different sports um, than you here in the States for the most part. You know, I got really excited last night when we drove in, we drove up from Miami, we checked into a hotel near, nearby, and we stopped at a fast food joint, mostly to get internet connection, because <laughs> we were lost, but we decided to have a burger. And across the street in the mall, I saw a shop, and it was called Cricket. And I thought, wow, Florida has cricket. I love it. Cricket is a passion for every English gentleman. Say hallelujah. Yes. But we drove over there, and it was a telephone shop. My Lord, what is this? I felt so deceived by you guys. But there's another sport that I'm passionate about, and it's called rugby. Okay, Rugby is a bit like American football, except we don't wear any of the protection, and it doesn't sort of stop and start. And rugby is really interesting because actually it was invented over 150 years ago in England in a place called Rugby. There's a school there called Rugby School, and there was a big guy, a bit like our big tough guy here on the front, and, and he was playing soccer. You call it soccer. And he was playing soccer with his mates. And all his mates were kind of smaller and faster. I'm kind of looking for a few examples here. Look, there's a sort of athletic-looking guy there. Huh? And they were running rings around the big guy. And he got pretty, you know, humped off about this. And so he thought, the next time that ball comes near to me, I'm going to grab it. And so the soccer ball came rolling by, and instead of kicking it, he picked it up and he ran with it. And all his mates said, you can't do that. And he said, I'm going to run with it. And he was running with it. And so his mates tried to jump on him and stop him. And he pushed them off and he kept running. So they tried to trip him up and he kicked them out the way and kept running. Uh, and he ran the whole length of the pitch. He entered into the goal and he shouted, goal. And so was born the great sport of rugby. Hallelujah. Hmm? That's rugby. And one of the incredible differences about football, how many Latinos do we have here? I know we're in the church of all nations. Because you Latinos don't know what I'm talking about. No, you don't. Don't pretend. Because you guys love soccer. And, or football. We say football, huh? Football, huh? And the, one of the main differences between rugby and football is that rugby, if you bash the guy, you know, and he's bleeding, and he's, uh, or if you bang him in the leg, or even break his arm. He doesn't want to leave the field. He stays on there. No, let me carry on. I'm going to keep going. Huh? And, you know, there's a guy there with a stretch, and he says, no, no. But in soccer, in football, if you blow on the, on the player, uh, like Neymar from Brazil, hello, he falls over, starts crying, and calls for his mama. I mean, it's terrible. Isn't that right? Absolutely terrible. There are many differences between rugby and football. One of the other differences is when you get to the end of a game of rugby, because it's so physical and normally played in the wintertime, you get covered in mud and sweat and blood, and you come off the field. You could have had a red team and a blue team, but by the end, you don't know which team is which because everybody's covered in mud. And then you go to the showers I don't know if they do this here in Florida, but when I was a boy, we would go to these communal showers in the changing rooms that have these big industrial type of water jets that you'd stand under, put a whole load of shampoo on, and all that mud and sweat and blood would be washed away down the plug hole. Say amen. Uh, now, obviously, I'm not here to talk to you about rugby or football. 
but I am here to talk to you about the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Soap and shampoo and hot showers can wash away blood, uh, excuse me, wash away mud, but only the blood of Jesus can wash away your sins. Baptism is a bath. It's symbolic of a bath in the blood of Jesus. And the scripture says, all your sins shall be washed away and God will have no memory of them. Why? They get washed down the plug hole of forgetfulness. You are separated from your sins as far as the east is from the west. Hallelujah. And you can never be reunited with them again. Shout amen, somebody. Come, you're here with an evangelist tonight. Say amen. And so the first symbol of baptism actually is a bath. Now, interestingly about bath. Now, I have four children. They're getting a little bit older now. This guy's 17. I have three boys, and then I got a little girl, and she's uh, 11. Now, when children are quite young, they, for some reason, I can't remember what the rationale is in the child's mind, but they don't like to take baths. Isn't that right? They can play all day out in the muck, sweat from head to toe, and then they come in and you say, son, go take a bath. And he goes, why? I don't need one. I had one yesterday. I had one last week. And you, you enter into this kind of debate with a child as to why they need to have a bath. Son, you smell terrible. No, I don't. No, but son, you, 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 can't, go to, you can't go to bed like that. Anyhow, so often children don't think they need a bath. And so too do immature people think they don't need to be washed by the blood of Jesus. But daddy knows best. Say to your neighbor, our daddy knows best. There's no way into the kingdom unless you're washed by the blood. Daddy knows best. Amen. That's why he sent his son. Without the remission of, without blood, there is no remission of sin, the scripture says. Everybody needs to take up in order to get into heaven. You know, again, being an Englishman, I'm a great fan of Charles Dickens. Who remembers Charles Dickens? Come on, that, that's, that's good literature now. Mm? And one of his best books is Oliver Twist, that you might know more from the movies than from the book, but I recommend you read it. And of course, Oliver Twist is this orphan boy who, you know, it's really, it's, it's, it's a classic because it has the, the gospel Bible story really underpinning it. And, but one of the, the, the main themes is that this orphan boy, this street child, rejected and dejected, he is adopted by a rich man into his family, which is a picture of the father adopting us as sons into the kingdom. Say amen. But having owned this child, having said, Oliver, you're mine. From now on, you're my son and you carry my name. What's the first thing that the rich man did when Oliver stepped into his house? He gave him a bath. A bath. Amen. Why? Because to enter the kingdom of heaven, my friend, you can't stink. You need to be washed. God's presence is holy. Shout amen. God's kingdom is clean. To enter in there, you must be washed. You can't come in. How many times did your mom or dad say, take those dirty shoes off before you come inside? Isn't that right? You came back with muddy Wellington boots. And where did you have to leave them? Outside. Dirty things can't enter the kingdom of God. That's why you need to take a bath. Say amen, por favor. Hallelujah. But I've got in that bath there. It seems such a simple thing, didn't it, Pastor? You know, just a... You know, just a dunk, a dunk in water. But there was something powerful going on there. All of the sins of those beautiful people who were getting baptized, all of them, all of them, all of them were washed away for eternity. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a great... And, and that's all because of Jesus and his blood. Amen. Now, the second symbol I'd like to mention to you is the grace. The grave, say the grave. Here we go to Romans 6 and 5. Is this okay? Yeah. Buried with him. Life. Of life. Hallelujah. 
Okay, the sound is moving around a little bit. You all still hearing me? Wave at the back if you can hear me. Great. Amen. In the middle. Was I meant? Okay. That's better. All right. Thank you. Hallelujah. Say the grave. The grave. Now, interestingly, again, think of what we just saw here. So we saw them having a bath, but we also saw them going down and coming back up, uh, being laid low in the water and then springing up into newness of life. Isn't that right? So it's symbolic of something else that's happening in baptism. What's that? The death and the burial of the old man, the old creature, the old creation, and the resurrection of the new man, the new creature in the lives of everyone who is saved. Say amen, please. You know, interestingly, I read this, that in the old days, they would literally, to baptize people, they would literally strip them down naked or as close to it as possible because they wanted to rid the baptizee, the person being baptized, of all the filthy rags of their old life. It's true. It's true. And so, and then when they came up, they would be clothed in new clothes. That's how they used to do baptism many years ago. But this is the truth. What God is trying to show us is really what's happening through baptism. We now, because of Christ and our faith in him, aren't just forgiven sinners, okay, pardoned criminals, but we are new creatures. We're a new person in Christ. Shout amen, somebody. Hallelujah. Um, I think, you know, somebody said, well, can you immerse, um, can you sprinkle people? You can. Sprinkling is, you know, I don't have any problem with that, but the symbol of laying somebody down in a watery grave is much more powerful than a sprinkle on their forehead. Isn't that right? Because it shows that they've not just been cleansed, but they've been born again. Hallelujah. Uh, it shows that something deep and fundamental and interior is happening. The old heart of stone that was unresponsive and dead to God has been taken out. Amen. Shout amen. amen. And a new heart of flesh that is sensitive to the things of God has been placed in. Amen. And so everything of the old is gone and everything of the new has come. You know... Um, I have a little nephew, and some years ago, he came to me, and we were talking, um, you know, about good people and bad people, and for some reason, we got talking about prisons, and he said, Uncle, you know, when people go to prison, why do they go there? So I said, well, actually, it's number one to punish them, because when you do bad stuff, there needs to be some sort of you know, a, a retribution. That's how society works. Some people don't learn by being taught, so they have to learn other ways. And children, it's the same. You try and correct them with the word, but if the word don't work, a little bit of that sometimes helps. Say amen. Or is that politically incorrect in Florida these days? Hallelujah. Huh? So number one, it's a bit of punishment. But number two, it's protection. Because society has to be protected from thieves and murderers and, and so forth. And so, you know, it's, it's, you know, we don't want everybody walking around worried all the time that they're going to be robbed. Or so. so people need to go be separated. And, the, and our hope is obviously that they change. He said, but do they change? And I thought, boy, now that's a big question. That's quite a deep question coming from a little boy. Mm? And I said to them, you know what? You know, a criminal can go into prison one way, and he can leave actually reformed, but still with the same desire and the same heart. Uh, what he really needs, I said to him, what he really needs is a new heart. Uh, what, what he needs is a new way of thinking, new passions, new desires. And my little nephew said, is that possible? And I said, I'm so glad you asked that, because let me tell you now about Jesus Christ and the wonderful work that he's done. He can make you new. He can give you a new heart and a new start. He can put new desires on the inside of you. Say amen, please. 
And I mean, come on, before you forget that you were sanctified from your sins, uh, let's remember where we've come from before. Um, you know, because it's so easy to forget how we were before Jesus Christ in his great mercy and grace stretched out his hand and invaded our lives and, and re removed the scales and showed us his love and then did that deep work inside of us. You know, I always used to think I was a good guy. <laughs> I was so deceived, I used to think I was a good guy, even though I was competing to be the chief of sinners when I was a teenager and beyond. Huh? And I remember coming across, I, I come from a non-Christian family, or let me say this, my dad was a Catholic, my mum was an Anglican, and really the only time as a family we would go to church was on Christmas Eve, and we would fight over which church to go to, you know. And so we came up with a truce that one year it would be the Catholic and the other year would be the Anglican, and, and that's how we managed to more or less keep the peace. Huh? But really nominal believers, and I, I grew up and I thought, didn't find life as an adventure in the church, so I looked to the world. That's another story. But I remember when I finally, God in his grace, sent two witnesses, two of his servants, two of his believers to come and speak to me. And these were friends of friends and, and two lovely young ladies, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And you know how how it is, you, you tend to be attracted to the messenger before you're attracted to the message. Hello, hello, hello. No, but it's true. I like the look of them. I'm, yeah, they were nice looking, but they had something I didn't have. They had a peace inside of them that exuded them. They had a joy that shined in their eyes. I thought, I thought, what drug are you on, you lot? Ah. They said the Holy Ghost. I said, well, how much is it? <laughs> Uh, but I remember, I remember being around them, and, and I don't know how it is, but I just got this impression that they were so pure, their, their motives, their ways, they were so selfless, and suddenly in their company, I felt so selfish, so egotistical, so proud, uh, so arrogant, so self-assured. And for the first time, I took a real long look at the state of my heart, and I saw something that I'd never seen before, a filthy, dirty, serpent-filled heart. And I thought, God, get this thing out of me. Get this, get this thing out of me. Get it out of me. I realized there was something on the inside of me that was destroying me from the inside out, a fallen heart, a fallen nature, a rotten rotten way. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I thank God that baptism is more than just being cleansed. It's about being regenerated and renewed by the power of the, the work of Jesus Christ. Say amen, somebody, please. Hallelujah. It's a grave. It's a grave. Just finishing on that thought. You know, I was thinking about this recently. Heaven is a wonderful place. Isn't that right? Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Isn't that right? You've got to get one of these two hearts to get in, in other words. Can't get in without one. Don't care what label. Hello. Hmm? Don't care what good works. That, that don't count. I'm talking American now. Uh, that, uh, you've, got, you've got to have a new heart. Uh, and a new heart talks of a new nature. Now, why is that? Well, there's kind of lots of reasons. But just one of the thoughts that came to me is this. Imagine heaven with people in it who had old hearts, selfish hearts, sinful hearts. You know, how could you walk down those golden streets in peace, wondering if your neighbor's going to come after your little girl because, you know, he's full of lust. Hello, I'm going to rob something from your backyard. No, heaven is heaven because everybody there has a new nature, a nature of love, a nature of service, a nature of self-sacrifice. Shout amen, somebody, please. And the third symbol of water baptism I want to mention is the Red Sea. Interestingly, the Red Sea. We know that all the Old Testament is a type and a shadow of the new. Isn't that right? It, it points the way to the work of Christ. And obviously, the deliverance of Israel from Egypt is a picture of our deliverance from the kingdom of darkness, from Satan's hand uh, in of course, okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> of course, Colossians 1, again, a scripture you all know so well. 
verse 13 and 14. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And and 1 Corinthians 10, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Say cloud and say sea. Hallelujah. Amen. So baptism is a division of waters. It's a watershed moment. In Portuguese, maybe in Spanish, we say uma divisão de águas. It's a transforming moment when you leave behind the old and you enter the new, okay? Of course, the glory of the Red Sea, one of the things that just fascinates me about that whole story is obviously it's all done by the hand of God. Say amen. You can't save yourself. Isn't that right? Your good works don't add up to a hill of beans, you say, here in the States. Isn't that right? You couldn't get to heaven on your, on your own any more than you could jump to the moon. Absolutely impossible. You need the mighty hand of God to make a way where there is no way through the Red Sea. To be delivered from the kingdom of darkness. Now, obviously, Pharaoh represents Satan. Isn't that right? The, the soldiers, Pharaoh's army, represent the demons. Egypt, in this context, represents the kingdom of darkness. And that's the world we used to live in. And the people of God, the Israelites, were there oppressed, poor, slaves, literally under a curse. Isn't that right? But when that sea opened up and they passed through, the scripture doesn't end there. It says that the Pharaoh's army came chasing them down. You know the story well. Just at the right timing. Don't you thank God that he's good on timing here? Just at the right timing. If you don't know what I'm saying, check out the the movie, Joseph, whatever it is, uh, Prince of Egypt. You can see it in dramatic form. You'll see the timing. Just when all the soldiers and all the chariots are in the midst of the sea, what does the Lord do? He releases the water and it covers them all in that watery sea where they die. Hallelujah. Just think with me, because remember, this isn't a Disney story. This is reality. Those people, just imagine you've been brought up, and your fathers have been brought up, and your grandfathers have been brought up under the oppressive uh, iron hand of Pharaoh. You've literally, you don't get a Sabbath, you don't get a day off, you have to work from dawn till dusk. Isn't that right? Making bricks and giving your life to build some monument to a false god, okay? And then you come home at night to live in a mud shack and eat the poorest wheat of the land. And that's life. I mean, that is life, okay? There's just no respite. There's no recreation. There's no park to walk in. No, no nothing to do. Just survival is your, is your daily you know, priority. And that's all you've known. And surrounded the whole time, you've got these soldiers whipping you and spying on you. I mean, just horrible, horrible, horrible. It just makes me think of sort of communist Russia or something like that in one of the gulags, one of the slave camps. Absolutely terrible. Um, But that's the reality of it. They were slave camps driven to their deaths in hard work. Mm? And then just imagine those divine visitations of the Lord. The great ten plagues, finalizing with the slaying of the firstborn and then the miracle provision of the lamb that uh, caused the angel of death to pass by. And then Pharaoh setting them free and them heading off and remember that the Egyptians handed over their silver and gold. Hallelujah. All the payment that the slaves hadn't been paid for all those years of work was paid on that final day because God has no debtors. Hallelujah. Uh, He just blessed them. They walked off with silver and gold, and they got to the Red Sea. You know the story. Couldn't go forward, couldn't go backwards because Pharaoh had a change of mind. Couldn't go to the left, couldn't go to the right. The east wind blew, opened up that sea, and they passed through. Imagine, though, they got to the other side. And I can see them looking over their shoulders, seeing that cloud of dust being whipped up by the chariots coming after them to slay them on the way. Uh, Imagine the 
panic that entered their hearts, thinking, oh God, we thought we were free. Uh, we nearly got there. Have you ever been to the Berlin Wall? I visited there as a child, and I always remember in my mind a picture of a young man who crossed over no man's land, through the tank traps, across the river, and he was running for freedom. Just when a sentry saw him, pointed his rifle, and bang! And the photo shows him being shot in the back and falling to the ground. So close to freedom! And yet he never made it. It's a, a, a harrowing thought. So there they were on the dry land. But Pharaoh's army chasing them down thinking, oh God, it's going to be worse now than it was there. But suddenly the sea closing in on top of that enemy army. Just imagine with me. Please, it's not fiction. It's not a fairy tale. Just imagine that sense of relief. Just imagine that sense of joy. Just imagine that thought. We are truly free. And there is now a separation between us and them. This land and that land. Our leader, Moses, a type of Christ. And that leader, Pharaoh, a type of the devil. He can't touch us any longer. Hallelujah. It is no wonder that Miriam and all the girls got up and got their tambourines and said, let's rock and roll because this is freedom and freedom indeed. Hallelujah. Let's praise the Lord. <laughs> Baptism, my friend, is a picture of crossing that Red Sea. What am I trying to say? It's a picture of leaving behind the land of oppression uh, leaving behind the curses of old and entering into freedom and the land of blessing. Shout amen, somebody. And I'm here to tell you, because of the work of Christ, uh, he doesn't just wash you. He doesn't just regenerate you, but he sets you free. You were under a curse, but now you're under a blessing. Not because of your own works, but because of his mighty work there on the cross at Calvary. You're free. You're in the land of blessing now. Uh, all the things that you were cursed with in the past, now God's going to give you double for your trouble. I'm preaching good. Come on, I'm preaching good. He's going to restore all that the locust has eaten just if you celebrate with Miriam all the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. Shout amen, somebody. I tell you, you got a new life. you got a new start. Good things are coming your way. All you got to do is thank God for the great thing that he's done for you. It's not about working. It's not about trying. It's about trusting in his work on your heart behalf. Say amen, somebody, please. I'm going to try and wrap this up because I've only just spoken about the three symbols of the water baptism, but of course, there's another baptism. Hallelujah. He who comes after me is greater than me. I baptize you in water, John said, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Shout amen. 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 So even water baptism is a symbol of something even more glorious, and that's Holy Ghost baptism. Say Holy Ghost baptism. And I tell you, if water baptism is transforming, uh, baptism by fire is so much more transforming. Let me just say this. You know, I was baptized in water in... Uh, New Zealand. I, I'm a Brit. I, uh, my dad was a general in the British Army. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so we traveled every couple of years to new countries. And so I had that kind of missionary bug inside of me, even though we weren't believers, but I just loved to travel. And, and when I graduated from university, I took a job in Hong Kong, and that company sent me down to Australia. And in Australia, on the beaches of Australia, I heard the gospel. Hallelujah. I heard the gospel and was gloriously saved. I wasn't planning to be saved. The gospel tripped me up. Uh, as my brother once said, you are the most unlikely preacher I have ever met. I said, yes, that shows the grace of God. Uh, that shows the power of God. It's true. It's true. I wasn't looking for this. And I've learned that. I've learned that, you know, even about ministry. Ministry is more about discovering your calling than choosing your calling. You discover who he's made you to be. 
Mm. You discover your anointing. You don't choose your anointing. You discover your anointing and you roll with it. And when you roll with it, then suddenly you get in the flow. Isn't that right? And things start happening all around you. Anyhow, so I was down. In, I heard the gospel in, in, in Australia. And then my business sent me down to Wellington, New Zealand, the capital of New Zealand. And there is a beautiful country, beautiful country. There's only 3 million people, about 25 million sheep, a lot more sheep than people. Wow. And, but one of, the most, uh, one of the most beautiful countries with glorious blue skies and clean beaches and so forth. But the sea is really cold, really, really cold. It's down south. I was baptized in the cold seas of New Zealand. Yes, yes. When I hit that water... Pastor Boykin, when, I, when my head, I can still feel it today. Whew. Wow, it was so, you know, I dived in the sea today at Deerfield Beach. I went for a run and dived. Oh, it was glorious. Wow. That, that was so different than the sea in New Zealand. I mean, today was a little bit fresh, but there was like diving into ice. I tell you, I had a revelation that I died. I froze to death in those seas. But when I came up, you know, before that, I was a smoker, drinker, all that kind of stuff. But something happened in my water baptism. Something that I couldn't do in my own power, God did it for me in His power, just through water baptism. And you know it's the truth, because how many testimonies do you hear of kids who have come through a, you know, kind of rock and roll background, and, and then suddenly through baptism, instead of wanting to stay up and sin, they want to stay up and praise the Lord. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? So there's power in water baptism. But if there's power in water baptism, I'm here to tell you there's so much more power in spirit baptism, because now we're talking about the, the real thing, the real thing. Not natural water, but living water, spiritual water. Say amen. And that's really my first symbol that I wanted to quickly share with you, and I'll kind of wrap it up, if I can. <laughs> I preached last week on the young man who, who was up in the window when Paul was preaching, and he fell out, he, was, he fell asleep, and he fell down because Paul preached till midnight. Yes, <laughs> hallelujah. Amen. Anyhow, so the first symbol, obviously, is living water. Say living water, please, quickly. Amen. You know, it's interesting, but we just read that in, in 1 Corinthians that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. There's two types of baptism, cloud baptism that comes down from above, and sea baptism that's from, above, from below. Are you, are you hearing? Everything's symbolic in the old uh, covenant, okay? And we need to experience both types of baptism. Isn't that right? Uh, the children of Israel, interestingly, they went through the Red Sea to get out of oppression, to get out of Egypt, but they crossed the Jordan to get in to the promised land. Shout amen. Your place isn't in the desert. Your place is in the promises. So getting out, you need to be water baptized. But to get to the promises, you need to be spirit baptized. Uh, the Red Sea is a salty sea, but the Jordan River is fresh water. The Red Sea points to the water baptism. The Jordan River points to the living water, the spirit baptism. Isn't that right? You need both. Say to your neighbor, you need both. You need both. You need both. Hallelujah. And like I say, Jordan is superior. Amen. Because it leads you to the promised land. You know, there's a great story, maybe I'll preach on it these days, but of the woman who met Jesus at Jacob's well. And you remember, without going into all the details, she had, had, she had married five men already. She got tired of the marriage thing, so now she was on, on the sixth, but decided not to marry him because she knew that just a little bit of time, and she would be changing him for the latest model or the latest version as well. And so she was kind of just going from bad to worse, you know, her life passing by, looking for satisfaction in the wrong place, like so many people do, uh, looking for satisfaction 
in a bed, looking for satisfaction in a bottle, looking for satisfaction in something worldly and just, you know how it is with relationships, because every time a relationship breaks down, the heart gets hurt and, you know, so you become more cynical and less trusting. And, and so really, she was getting more and more sort of uh, uh, hardened to, the, to, to, to life in general. She was tired. She was out there in the midday sun. Theologians say that she probably went to fetch water then because the other women in town didn't like her and so didn't want her around at dawn or dusk, the normal time of collecting water. Why? Because she was a, a man hunter. She was a predator. She had already taken other women's men and now she might change her sixth for a seventh and watch out ladies. She was one of those. Normally in our religious minds, we think she was some sort of, you know, rather frumpy old lady. No, -uh -uh. I think if she, if she had had six men and, or five men and there was still a queue for her, she was probably quite good looking. Say amen, somebody. Uh, anyhow, Jesus comes across her. And like I said, we can open it up more later. And instead of pointing a bony finger of condemnation at her, uh, instead of doing that, he offers her what? Living water. Yeah. Hallelujah. What was he doing then? He was showing her, sweetheart, listen, let me help you here. You're looking for satisfaction in the wrong place. You won't find it in a relationship. You won't find it anywhere else. But if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. Shout amen, somebody. The spirit baptism talks about deep, genuine satisfaction. You're not just delivered out uh, of, a, of headaches and oppression and so forth. You're delivered into a, a life of satisfaction. Why? Because I tell you, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. Isn't that right? And at his right hands, pleasures forevermore. And I tell you, that presence is now come inside of you in the form of the Holy Ghost. Say amen, somebody. The living water, Jesus said, is going to flow out of your innermost being. You're going to be healed, but you're also going to be a fountain of healing for other people. That's why you need the spirit baptism, because it's not just about setting you free. It's now about equipping you to be a blessing, to set other people's free, and to heal other people. You're equipped to serve. Shout amen, somebody. The second symbol is wine. Wine. Amen. It's quiet now. Am I in a Baptist church here? <laughs> Hallelujah. Do not be drunk with wine in which there is excess, the scripture says, but be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Jesus came to release new wine here on earth. Isn't that right? Amen. Not old wine, but now we've got new hearts. He wants to put a new wine in it, and he's called the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I love the story of the Feast of Canaan. First miracle Jesus did to reveal his glory, the scripture says. And I love it. And, and I, I say that because as an evangelist, it shocks me. As an evangelist, you know, we're sometimes so concerned about getting people saved and healed and delivered. It becomes a sort of divine obsession for us. But Jesus didn't start his ministry by saving, delivering, or healing. He started it by putting on a great party and turning water into wine. Say amen. Hallelujah. And why? Well, there's lots of reasons. Again, we could break it open for you at another time. But I believe that he chose a wedding because really the whole of the story of God and man is a divine romance. It starts with a wedding between Adam and Eve, and it ends with a wedding between the bride of Christ, which is the church, and the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. That's his divine purpose in saving us, not just to deliver us out, but to deliver us into a new life of love and intimacy and blessing, and he wants to share all his glory with us and all his treasure with us. Shout amen, somebody. The spirit baptism leads you into those blessings. Isn't that right? Mary, the mother of Christ, comes to him. You know the story so well and says, look, they've run out of wine. And he answers something incredible, which shocked me when I first read it. He said, woman, what have I got to do with thee? My time, my time has not yet come. I thought, boy, if I said that to my mom, I'd get a sock in the ear, I tell you. Huh? But, you know, I couldn't understand it for ages, and I can't remember how the revelation came now. 
but it dawned on me somehow. Either I read it or I just thought it through. But so often in Scripture, people approach Christ and ask him questions in the natural, and he answers in the spiritual. His way of thinking is above our way of thinking. He's got a heavenly mindset. Mary comes along and says, look, they're out of wine. He said, well, listen, my time's not come. It's not time for wine. Not yet. Because in order to release wine on earth, I need to die first. I need to go to a cross. I need to lay down my life. I need to be buried, resurrected, and then I need to ascend into heaven. But once I've ascended, once I've been glorified, uh, I will send to you another comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he'll bring the wine that you're really looking for. This wine you're drinking in this party, it will be finished tonight and you'll forget it tomorrow. But the wine I bring will never run dry and will produce a real satisfaction and a real joy that you've never experienced from anything on earth. Shout amen, somebody. Wine talks of joy. Wine talks of life. I'm here to tell you, through the spirit baptism, you leave behind a life of tears, a, a life of trouble, a life of mourning, and he clothes you with a garment of praise and celebration. Uh, the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. Isn't that right? Say to your neighbor, you weren't created to, to frown and to scowl. You were created to smile and to shine. Say that. How, you know, drunk people smile a lot. And I know you guys are assemblies of God type. You are Pentecostal people. And if God started on the day of Pentecost with heavenly wine, filling those guys up so that they look like drunks to others, I believe God wants to continue the same way that he started. Say, say to your neighbor, he's preaching to you now. Hallelujah. And finally tonight, obviously the Holy Spirit talks of power. You shall receive power uh, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Hallelujah. Power to be. Power to be the person you were born to be. Power to enter into a supernatural realm. Power that gives you a capacity to do stuff that normally you couldn't do. The timid become bold. Isn't that right? The tongue-tied become preachers. The tight-fisted become generous tithers and offerers. Oh, I'm preaching good now. Somebody say amen. Huh? Power to change. Power to be the person you're created to be. Isn't that right? Scripture says in, uh, in Acts chapter 2 that they all began to speak in other tongues. They began new things. Uh, they began to speak in new tongues. They began to think in new, say to your neighbor, new things because of the power on you. Now, let me just help you here just to close. Somebody once asked me, explain the anointing to me. That's a tough question, isn't it? Right, because you're explaining something mystical, magical, almost invisible, glorious. So I said, well, imagine you're walking down a farm lane and you see a cow mooing in a field. I said, that's not the anointing. Imagine you walk on a little bit further and you see a bird singing in the trees. I said, that's not the anointing. But then I said, imagine you look back and now you see the cow sitting in the tree singing like a bird. That's the anointing. Hallelujah. The anointing makes you do things you couldn't normally do by the power of the Holy Ghost. Say amen, somebody. And that's why you need the spirit baptism as well as the water baptism to be the person you're called to be.